Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. Hi, everyone. It's Roxanne Derhage. Nice for you to be here with us again today. I'm with a colleague and a friend, uh, Dr. Lubna Noreddin of Mind Market. She is the co-founder and CEO of Mind Market. Uh, Lubna has um, been doing some special work out there in uh, the world of organizational consultancy. So Lubna, thanks so much for being here with us today. Absolutely. It is my delight and pleasure to be with you, Roxanne. So, so for some of our listeners, you know that Lubna has been on again in the past and um, gave us the pr- pr- privilege of being on again. So Lubna, um, tell us a little bit about um, your background in organizational consulting and a bit about your PhD, because I think um, so many people don't understand what's involved in organizational um, consulting, and I think that's a good place to begin. All right. So um, I've been in the corporate field serving inside corporate for over 25 years and for five years outside of it. That gives an idea of the age. I started at 15. So um, and I did uh, I was uh, leading the organizational learning and development uh, function in um, in organizations and in I got really interested in understanding uh, change. I wanted to understand why fail change so much in organizations. And that got me into the PhD process that, where uh, through organization leadership did my whole dissertation and work for over 10 years on change and uh, understanding what what are the factors that influence managers' commitment and engagement with change? And what are the things that they resent? And what I found out is that managers, after interviewing hundreds of managers, managers do not resent change. On the contrary, they anticipate it. They welcome it. What they resent is the lack of regard for the human side of change. So we truly emphasize the process side of change. Uh, We have amazing systems out there and project managers that can implement and execute on change. We do not spend enough time working on the people side of change. And uh, what can I say, Roxanne? At times, disregarding the pain of what is left behind during change could be the biggest source of of resistance to change in organizations. So that's that's interesting. So um, and change is like this, you know, they always say that the only constant is change. 
and but really organizationally and I think as people we're not we're generally not good with change we may be a bit better when it's change that we've um, kind of taken on ourselves but I would think for the most part a lot of change organizationally is all is often out of the hands of the employee right so I would think of when Absolutely. I was yeah when I was consulting um, at any given point with my portfolio 70 65 percent of the organizations that I was consulting with were in flux of some sort Acqu- you know mergers acquisitions right sizing downsizing so so that's that's really really a constant and and I would say that for the most part as human beings we we prefer not to have things change but change is kind of happening all the time so really so you found in your research that it's how we dealt with the impact of um how people deal with change or like you said what was left over around change and how companies dealt with that that's was was what the one of the most important things that um managers were looking for with change management absolutely and um Again, the process side of change is well studied and well implemented. And if we look at the project management certifications, for example, the process side is well done. Now, when it comes to relationship building, when it comes to influencing, when it comes to coaching, there's a gap in terms of the human side of change. Communicating the change in a way that makes sense sometimes can be our easiest door in, and yet we disregard it because change is happening so fast, there is no time. I don't think, Roxanne, there's any manager out there as executive level that does not understand the importance of communicating the change. I think every executive uh, that I have worked with truly understands the importance of communicating uh, the change, the purpose, the impact, and so forth, and building that preparation for implementing change. What happens is knowing is different from doing. So we know this is important. However, we're so busy and change is happening so fast. Timelines are hitting some kind of crisis and we ignore the communication part. And that can be detrimental to the change process. About 50 to 70% of change initiatives fail. The cost in organizations reported in the US alone is about $392 billion in failed change. So for every two changes in your organization, there is one that might be failing. And the reasons behind it could be one, the lack of regard for what, or lack of understanding of what is happening on the front line when it comes to change. The second uh, gap could be the lack of understanding for the impact of change. But the third one is the lack of buy-in to Mm. the change itself. When we do not have buy-in, change may fail. And there's many, many examples and many case studies of how change can be done right. Uh, I've seen uh, case studies from HPCL, for example, a huge Indian company that where the CEO knew that there was tremendous change happening, major disruption to the workplace, 
And this is about uh, an 11,000 organization, 11,000 employee organization. And him and his executive team decided that we need to do this well and we need to start from the bottom up. The vision was changing, the purpose was changing, and the global impact of the company was changing, but they went from the bottom up and started teaching and having conversations about the change with their frontline and intentionally had training sessions for each and every level until the very top. Everyone was involved in the change and every single person had the opportunity to understand what is happening and what could be possible. And the rewards for the company are documented in many, many journals, including the fact that the vision became so big, way beyond what the CEO even imagined because of involving the employees. So sometimes uh, the disregard for the human impact on the change can be a reason for failure. So let's let's think, of, you know, my thought is, if we know it's such a high level of loss across the you know, US and globally, what is it that people are remiss of think, like putting that strategy in place? If we know 50 to 75% of change strategies fail, why don't you think companies take the time or make the effort with this data that's out there? For one, it may not be known or common. It may not be common knowledge that change initiatives fail. Um, another reason is when there's a change in the executive level, whatever change is happening there gets put to the side and a new person comes in, new change initiatives come in with that person. So that's another one where the change is put to the side, it fails. It may have been doomed to fail, but they don't know that because there's a new person on board. And whenever you have a new executive on board, new change is happening. So that constant feeling of change can be a process that creates fatigue for the executive team, for the senior level team, and for the middle manager. And when you talk about the middle manager, they're in the middle. I wrote an article for Forbes on the role of the middle manager. Middle manager has to manage up and needs to manage down. They need to be the yesers for the up and the influencers and engagers for the bottom. It's a dual role, so it's exhausting. And we cannot continue to force change through a fire hose. The people are choking. It is mm -hmm. truly time to stop and consider what specifically do we want to change and what is the priority? You know, I, I talk. I coach executive managers and executive leaders. And when they say we have so many priorities, it's like an oxymoron. This priority is supposed to be one. What is the one thing that is most important to focus on today, this week, next week, this month, this quarter? And when you have too many of those, nothing is important. Everything becomes the same. So having a clear understanding of what is priority can also help change succeed. So we talked about first one is the change in senior leadership. The second one is the amount of crisis happening in the world that shifts things every day. So gears change and not enough attention paid to that. And the third one is not enough time. Executives know the importance of communication. 
it just becomes secondary or of less importance to more timelines and deadlines and crisis management. And that is the hamster in the wheel experience that many managers feel. Again and again, I speak to managers and the common theme I found, especially among female leaders, is having to work all day with no time to finish their work, go home to their family, take care of family, take care of their, and then go back to their laptops after dinner to work until the late hours to be able to do work because during the day, there is no time and I'm talking about emails that are in the 2,000 and the 3,000 unopened emails. It's time to do something about it. So, um, well, actually, like, I mean, absolutely, because with that trajectory, um, burnout's inevitable. And, and we know that we're seeing so many companies are dealing with the issue of burnout. So let's, you know, let's talk a little bit about um, something that's, I think, present now. In 2023, most people are asking that all their most of their employees go back to work. So that's a massive change that's coming, right? Because we kind of gone to you know um, working from home completely, where we had to go through major change. So I'm sure you you were definitely um, busy with that. And then we had to go to okay, how do we electronically get set up? How do we use virtual like we're using now as as a as a you know a normal thing, which we didn't have that scale, which was a whole other change. And then we had to go to how do I manage, you know, um, you know, in-person versus hybrid. And now we're saying companies are given the directive that we want to get people back to work. So that's, I would say, the most pressing change that I um, can see with my business and, and clearly definitely with what you deal with. So let's talk a little bit about that, Lupna. Like, what do you think about this, first of all? I think it's it's funny you mentioned that because I'm working with a client and their policy for the previous model has not been complete yet. So there are a lot of people struggling with this. And uh, I wrote an article, by the way, Roxanne, about this specific issue and Forbes as well. It's an article that I published last month. And understanding what is the benefit of the model of choice is of critical importance. I know of a, of a few CEOs that I'm working with closely on this challenge. And sometimes we need to really think about what do I want them to the office for? So being intentional about when to ask them to come versus not come, because a lot of people would rather go find another company and work virtual. Others prefer to be in the office. So having clear conversations with the employees, understanding their wants and needs, and then balancing that with what the organization needs is of critical importance. Um, I know someone right now who has invested millions of dollars in a new huge building for employees. And there's that challenge, you know, the challenge between I want them all back versus what makes sense. I think it's important to stop to understand what employees want so we don't lose them for another company and then have a balance of what you want versus what they want. Mm -hmm. If their job can be done completely online, how can we not lose that sense of community, 
this serendipity that happens when you're in the office, you know, the coffee conversations that we do, how can we not lose that and yet be able to support, you know, younger parents with children um, or older generation employees who are dealing with their parents being ill or needing more attention. So there's a lot going on we need to manage. And yet it's important to ask your employees what's best for them and then come up with a solution that balances out. We cannot just say, everyone back to the office, no exceptions and expect for an over not to happen. It will happen. Because I mean, we we're already hearing so much about quiet quitting. Uh, I don't think it's going to be so quiet if people office are being told they have to come back to work. So I think in the first quarter of 2023, it would be interesting to see, like you said, in reference to needs and wants um, and overall kind of, you know, goals for the company um, and trying to find the balance. Like some environments, I to your point, some employees want to go back to work. They've, you know, yes. they've, they're recognizing that they, you know, they're, they're better, they're more productive, they need the connection, and others are better, like you said, based on um, the stage and age of, you know, where they are and at in their lives. It may be that the hybrid model works, and others just would prefer to be virtual. It's it's up to the, the senior leadership team and the CEO, like you're saying, to make those decisions. But there's a bit of pressure now that people are saying, hearing all, most companies are saying that people need to get back to work. And so I think that will be interesting to see how that shakes out, because is it that people are going to, you know, um, like the Elon Musk's of the world that we've been seeing on Twitter, where he's telling people to go back and, the, and you know, the press that he's getting, you know, hopefully people are recognizing um, some of the things that you're saying, which is, you know, you may have, you know, a multi-million dollar investment that you need to protect. But if you're not thinking about, you know, the cross-section of what's in front of you percentage-wise in reference to needs and wants of your, you know, your diverse population, then then what, right? The investment um, or the return or the loss may be that much more dramatic long-term um, if you're not kind of looking at what's really in front of you. You know, absolutely, Roxanne, and, and holding the conversation, having the space, making the space for these conversations to happen. It's, it's a time-consuming um, support system. However, it's so important because then you understand your own team and your unique needs for this organization. I think mm -hmm. a balance might be a, a great recipe for some. It's not necessarily the best thing for all. However, holding open conversations with staff, allowing people to identify and feel the loss, let them express the loss of whatever they had, the habits they are used to. And to your point, it's, it's important to have... Uh, to go back to the office and to have these relationships happen. It is not important across the board. Some people thrive in being alone and some people thrive in being in groups. And how can we create the balance for both? It's, it's not an easy situation. However, it is uh, easily recognizable by having conversations with your teams, understanding their needs, their wants, and their limitations and their fears. 
some of my fears may not be valid to you, but at least understanding them and holding that space will help you shift forward with decisions that make sense for all. This was such a great interview that we decided to turn it into a two-part series. Be sure to tune in next week for part two so you don't miss out on the amazing content. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxannederhajcom slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.